In June of 1462, the Ottoman Sultan Mehmed II was at war. He'd spent the last decade transforming his empire from a regionally powerful coalition of frontier settlements into an international superpower. Nicknamed the Conqueror, Mehmed was exceptionally talented as a military and political leader, and everywhere he went, he seemed to be unstoppable. But something about this latest campaign was different. Somewhere out there in the night, the Sultan had a powerful enemy with a plan to assassinate him, brutally torture and murder his entire army, and end the advance of the Ottoman Empire for good. This is Foiled. Episode 9, A Forest of Corpses. Mehmed bin Murad Han was born on March 30th, 1432, in the Ottoman capital of Adern, in what is today northwestern Turkey. His father was Sultan Murad II, and his mother was an enslaved woman, one of the Sultan's wives. At the time of Mehmed's birth, the Ottoman Empire had existed for a little over a century, and in that time had slowly but surely become a regional power. But there was nothing set in stone that said Mehmed would one day be the ruler of that empire. His older brother Ali was the heir to the throne, but he suddenly died in 1443, when Mehmed was just 11 years old. The next year, 1444, Mehmed's father, Sultan Murad, won an important battle at Varna in what is today Bulgaria. It had been an attempt by the Christian kingdoms of Central and Eastern Europe to kick the Muslim Ottomans out of their backyard but the sultan's army defeated them all very badly. Almost immediately after returning home toward the end of the year, Murad did something that still isn't quite fully understood. He abdicated the throne. Ignoring the pleas of all his advisors, he gave up the throne in favor of his 12-year-old son. Mehmed, not even a teenager yet, was ruler of the Ottoman Empire. It's not entirely clear why his father did that, but a couple years later he took the throne back from his son. This time, Murad II would rule until his death in 1451. And so began the second, and longer, reign of Sultan Mehmed II. Now 18 years old, Mehmed was better prepared for rule this time around. He quickly set his sights on the Ottoman's neighbor and old enemy, Byzantium. Also known as the Eastern Roman Empire, the Byzantines had been a power in the region going all the way back to the split with Western Rome in the 4th century. But now, they were on the decline. Almost immediately after taking the throne, Mehmed began making plans to take the Byzantine capital of Constantinople. He had a fortress built near the city, and assembled an invasion force of ships and thousands of soldiers. Mehmed also had about 70 siege cannons built. They were massive, 20-foot-long guns that weighed 18 tons and could lob a 2-foot-wide cannonball over a mile. Constantinople's walls were among the strongest in the world at that time, but this new kind of warfare was too much even for them. After a siege of 53 days, the Ottoman army assaulted the city. The Byzantine emperor, Constantine XI, was killed in the fighting, and on May 29, 1453, the city was in Ottoman hands. 
the last shard of the Roman Empire had collapsed, over 1,500 years after Augustus Caesar was proclaimed the first emperor of Rome. Mehmed didn't see it that way, though. He thought he was continuing the Roman Empire, not ending it, and he even gave himself the title Caesar Irum, literally Caesar of Rome. He made Constantinople the new Ottoman capital, though by this point, some people were already informally calling the city by its modern name of Istanbul. But the official name for the city was Constantinople during Mehmed's life and until after the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, so that's what I'm going to refer to it as here. Conquering Constantinople was probably Mehmed's most famous achievement, but he didn't stop there. With the Byzantines out of the way, the Ottomans had more leeway to expand their empire into Europe. Mehmed spent the next decade earning the nickname the Conqueror. His armies took over Greece, and then moved into south-central Europe. The Ottomans took Serbia next, which put them close to the Kingdom of Hungary. A little too close for the Hungarians' comfort, in fact. But between the two empires, there was a buffer state known as Wallachia, where Mehmed would face maybe the biggest threat to his life yet. Sometime in the late 1420s or early 1430s, in what is today Romania, Vlad III of Wallachia was born. His father, Vlad II, was the ruler of Wallachia and a member of the knightly society called the Order of the Dragon. This earned him the nickname Dracul, meaning the dragon, and so Vlad III became widely referred to as the Son of the Dragon, or Dracula. Vlad Dracula's father was ruler of a state caught in between the Ottoman Empire and the Kingdom of Hungary. Vlad II initially paid tribute to the Ottomans, but was accused of treachery. To pay for this slight, his sons Vlad III and Radu were sent to the Ottoman court as hostages. There, the boys were treated fairly well. They were even given an education, though it was undoubtedly one meant to turn them into loyal vassals of the Ottomans. Vlad's younger brother embraced their new lifestyle, and would eventually even convert to Islam. Vlad himself, on the other hand, resented their condition, and set a precedent for a lifetime of hatred for the Ottomans. But it's also likely that the Ottoman court was where Vlad was first exposed to torture as a way to advance state policy, something that would become a hobby of Vlad's later in life. Back in Wallachia, an invasion by the Hungarians forced Vlad II out of power, and he was soon killed. At less than 20 years old, Vlad III was next in line to the throne. In 1448, the Ottomans helped him retake that throne amid the infighting, under the impression that he'd pay his tributes and remain loyal to them. But Vlad wasn't in power long before the Hungarians came back and kicked him off the throne. Vlad Dracula would be in exile for a few years, returning again in 1456 at the head of an army. He kicked the usurper off the throne and killed him in one-on-one -on -one combat. Vlad had his throne back, and he used this newfound power to take revenge on the people in Wallachia who had betrayed his father. Here, Vlad began to make widespread use of his favorite form of torture-slash-execution, impaling. Usually, while still alive, 
Vlad's victims would be very slowly impaled on a very long, sharpened wooden stake, sometimes horizontally, sometimes vertically. It could take hours for someone put in this state to finally die, and when they did, they were usually left like that. He killed thousands this way. Enemies, his own subjects, people found guilty of whatever crime Vlad thought they'd committed. It was in this cruelty that he earned his other nickname, Vlad Tepes, or Vlad the Impaler. Something else changed when he took power, though. Now that Vlad was secure on the throne, he didn't need the Ottoman Sultan's help, and he stopped paying his tributes. When Turkish emissaries were sent to collect these tributes, Vlad had spikes driven into their heads for not removing their turbans in his presence. Meanwhile, Vlad had been forming an alliance with the Hungarian king Matthias Corvinus behind the sultan's back in a plan to kick him out of Europe. Eventually, this all became too much for the Ottomans to tolerate. Mehmed sent a few waves of troops into Wallachia, but Vlad defeated them every time. So Mehmed abandoned another military campaign to personally lead an Ottoman army into Wallachia. But had Vlad Dracula had his way, the sultan would have never left. For his expedition into Wallachia, Sultan Mehmed II put together an army that some sources say had well over 100,000 soldiers. This was all with the sole purpose of killing Vlad III and placing his younger brother, the pro-Ottoman Radu, on the throne. The Ottoman army vastly outnumbered the Wallachian army and was much better equipped, but Vlad still eluded them. By the summer of 1462, the Sultan's army was approaching the Wallachian capital of Targoviste, with Vlad nowhere to be found. The Wallachian forces were hiding out in the mountains, engaging in scorched-earth guerrilla warfare. The Ottomans encamped near Targoviste, where they thought their position was safe. But Vlad was watching their every move, watching them more closely than they probably could have ever imagined. You see, Vlad still knew the Turkish language from his days in the Ottoman court, and so he disguised himself as an Ottoman soldier and waltzed right into the camp. He took a nice long walk around, figuring out the Ottoman plans. He also found and made a mental note to himself as to the location of the sultan's tent. Vlad then slipped back out as quietly as he'd snuck in, and brought back all he'd learned to his army. He'd decided that they would ambush the Turks in order to drive them out of his country for good. There was another piece to this plan, too. Maybe out of desperation? Maybe out of personal revenge? Maybe out of a psychopathic bloodlust? Vlad decided that he wanted to kill Sultan Mehmed II personally. His friend, the Hungarian king, had big dreams about leading a new crusade to take back Constantinople for Christianity and destroy the Ottoman Empire entirely. Whether that part factored into Vlad's plans isn't entirely clear, but there's no question that Vlad Dracula was out for blood. A few hours after sunset on June 17, 1462, all was quiet in the Ottoman military camp. Fearing an ambush, Sultan Mehmed reportedly ordered his soldiers to stay in their tents at night. But things had been quiet lately, and the camp wasn't particularly well defended, especially at the north and south ends. 
It was at these opposite ends of the encampment that the Wallachians attacked. Vlad Dracula's cavalry came crashing through the rows of tents, causing a panic as they went. It was all the Ottoman officers could do to keep the entire army from retreating. They sent their own cavalry to fight against the Wallachians, but they were pushed back. As for Vlad, he rode for the Sultan's tent, no doubt armed to the teeth to carry out his vendetta. When he finally found the tent, he burst in to find nothing. Mehmed was not in this tent, at least partly because it was not his tent. It's likely that Vlad got lost amid the chaos of the battle and simply went into the wrong tent. It's also possible that he had picked the wrong tent when he scouted out the camp in the first place, though something tells me the Sultan's tent didn't look like the other ones. Either way, no Sultan. Outside, the Wallachian attack was losing steam. They'd gotten the jump on the Ottomans through surprise, but now their ranks were reforming, and they now had the advantage of their Sultan not being dead. Mehmed was very much alive, and as Vlad's forces retreated, the Sultan sent troops after them. The Ottomans brought back something like a thousand Wallachian prisoners, whom Mehmed had executed immediately. The battle itself lasted all night, and it was inconclusive. Both sides took heavy losses, but Vlad escaped, and Mehmed was alive. The Sultan marched his troops directly into the Wallachian capital of Targovishta. What they found there was a gruesome scene. As the Ottomans approached the city, they began to see Vlad the Impaler's handiwork. On the sides of the road leading to Targovishta and into the city itself, there were over 20,000 corpses impaled on long spikes. They were mainly Ottoman soldiers who'd been killed in the last few battles. Some sources say the rows of dead went on for 60 miles. From far away, it probably looked like a forest. In the city center, the sultan found one of his generals dressed in his fine clothing, impaled on the tallest stake in the city. Vlad's way of showing his importance. Mehmed, who'd done more than his fair share of killing and torturing throughout his life, is said to have been haunted by this experience. Vlad may have taken the Ottomans by surprise at the night attack near Targovishta, but Mehmed was just as quick on his feet as his enemy was. He quickly put Vlad's brother, Radu, on the throne at the now-abandoned Wallachian capital, and had Radu drive Vlad out of the country entirely. Stubborn as ever, Vlad retreated to Transylvania, and there tried to get help from Matthias Corvinus, the king of Hungary. Instead, the king had Vlad arrested, and he was a prisoner for a few years. Eventually, he was cut loose, and immediately went back to Wallachia. He actually managed to get himself back on the throne, but the Ottomans didn't exactly have much patience for Vlad at this point. The Sultan sent more soldiers to put down Vlad's regime, and this time, it worked. In either late 1476 or early 1477, he was a few miles north of where the modern Romanian capital of Bucharest is now. There, Vlad Dracula was killed fighting against Ottoman forces. But there's lots of conflicting information in the sources in regard to when he was killed, how he was killed, and what happened to his body. 
the location of which is still unknown. Maybe that has something to do with the fact that he was on the run, and that it was so long ago. There are lots of medieval rulers whose remains we haven't located. Or maybe it's just that he's still out there in the night somewhere. With Wallachia effectively under Ottoman control, Sultan Mehmed II returned home. Despite Vlad Dracula's best efforts, he would rule the Ottoman Empire for nearly 20 more years. In that time, Mehmed rebuilt Constantinople into a massive and revitalized capital, encouraging and even ordering immigration from all throughout the empire to repopulate the city. He was a major patron of the arts, not unlike the Medici that we talked about back in episode 2. But Mehmed the Conqueror also continued to conquer. His armies moved further up the Balkans now that they had Wallachian loyalty, and conquered Bosnia. He also consolidated power on the Anatolian Peninsula, where the modern country of Turkey sits today. Mehmed waged war with the Republic of Venice. He wasn't able to conquer them, but he did succeed in blocking European trade with everything east of the Ottoman Empire. This had the unintended effect of European explorers beginning to look for other routes, maybe across the Atlantic, to take in order to get in on the trade of India, China, and the Middle East. In 1481, Mehmed was getting ready for another conquest. Nobody but him knew where the invasion force was going, though. It could have been further into Anatolia, it could have been into Egypt, maybe back into Italy. But wherever they were going, they didn't. Sultan Mehmed fell ill, and died on May 3, 1481, at the age of 49. He was succeeded by his eldest son, Bayezid II. Mehmed II did not found the Ottoman Empire, but he did turn it into an early modern superpower. His successors would continue to expand the empire, which at its height stretched along almost the entire north coast of Africa, deep into the Arabian Peninsula, and even further up into Europe. In 1683, the Ottomans were stopped just short of conquering Vienna. History could have been very different had they won there, but they didn't. Like all empires do, the Ottoman realm expanded and reached the height of its power. By the late 1800s, the Ottoman Empire was doing the other thing that all empires do. It was starting to decline. It was at this point that Wallachia was finally removed from Ottoman control. It became part of independent Romania in the 1860s. After the Ottomans were defeated in World War I, Sultan Mehmed VI was forced to abdicate the throne. In 1922, the 600-year-old Ottoman Empire came to an end. The modern Republic of Turkey followed. This Halloween story didn't contain any witches or ghosts. There weren't any werewolves, and nobody involved would ever know what a pumpkin was. There were, though, a lot of dead bodies, tens of thousands in fact, and it was the actions of a few powerful men that made those corpses. Though Mehmed was technically the victim in this story, he was also a brutal conqueror in many of the same ways that Vlad was. He even had prisoners impaled after the fall of Constantinople. If you were looking for a good guy in this story, you probably didn't find one. You might have even picked up some similarities between the two rulers. 
In Vlad's case, it was the pleasure and direct participation that he took in the pain he inflicted on people that sets him apart from many of the other conquerors of history. His personal cruelty was legendary even in his own time. It was still legendary in 1897, when an Irish author named Bram Stoker used Vlad as the direct inspiration for his vampire novel, Dracula. Vlad the Impaler was a human being, but he's since been immortalized among the undead. <laughs> 